You're listening to a North Valley Community Church podcast. For more information and resources, visit us online at northvalleychurch.org. Hello, North Valley family. My name is Pastor Brian, and I serve as an assistant pastor over our Next Generation team, which is our kids, junior high, and high school students. We're starting a new series today called I Family, and so I thought it'd be fun to introduce you to my family. Uh, this is my wife, Alita. We've been married 10 years, and these are my two boys, Brian and Luke. We've been attending North Valley now for three and a half years, and I just think it's so awesome how much value uh, we place on family. So today, Pastor Ryan's going to tell us all about what it means to be an I family. So without further ado, take it away, Pastor Ryan. All right, well, how's everybody doing? Okay, let's try that again. How's everybody doing? There we go. That's the third service. Hey, we're going to have a shotgun wedding after this service. So you all are invited to a wedding uh, right after this service. We're going to do it out in the courtyard. And I told the couple that we're doing the uh, ceremony for, I said, you know, we're ha- we have a petting zoo right out there. They're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, you know, we're doing burgers and hot dogs right out there. They're like, yeah, that's cool. I'm like, you want me to invite the church? Oh yeah, invite the church. So uh, Chris and Lisa Marie, I had the privilege to baptize them uh, last weekend on Easter Sunday. And so they're getting married today. So isn't that fun? Let's celebrate that for a second. Well, hey, uh, real quick on Easter, it was our biggest and best Easter service uh, ever. And so it was an incredible opportunity. See lots of friends and family come out. It, we broke all sorts of records. And I mean, it was the hottest Easter I think we've ever had in Arizona too. So I changed my shirt three different times. We were baptizing in between every service, and it was, it was awesome. It was hot. And so, uh, but you guys did a great job inviting friends and family and being a part of that. Well, hey, today we're, we're jumping into a new message series called I Family, and uh, we're really talking about the family. And so uh, I want to tell you about a family story uh, that uh, you, may, you may have uh, not known about what happened in Mexico. So I went down to Mexico uh, with a mission trip. We had our biggest and our best uh, mission trip we've ever, this church has ever had. Um, coming out of the pandemic, we still sent a mission team down. It was incredible. Um, but what you may not know is that my wife was the key organizer, and she had to sit back. We had kind of a family urgent need that she needed to tend to. She stayed, and so I went and uh, for those of you husbands and wives, you can realize, or for you kids, you realize sometimes when dad and mom split apart, it feels like you're only operating at like 50% efficiency and effectiveness. And so I felt a little out of sorts, but I mean, we had a great time. We had a great team, good leaders. The whole trip went fantastic. After the trip was over, we built the house for Jose Luis and Concepcion and uh, built with them and uh, just heard a report. They're doing really good and we're excited to hear that. Celebrated with our mission team on Friday night, this last Friday, about all that God's been doing. But anyway, so after the trip, you know, um, I was invited to stick around and hang out with the president of the organization called I-68. Uh, the folks that build houses and do a lot of ministry down there stuck around. I had my two 16-year-old kids, uh, twins, Sam and Riley. And so I'm like, yeah, let's stick around. So we went over to Las Palomas, a really beautiful resort. I don't know if you know that place or not, but it's awesome. It's right on the beach. So we go over there. I got some church families over there. Uh, and, uh, and then uh, one of my buddies who planted a church called Mission Grove, a church that we helped start. And when you give to the Hope Offering, we give money out to help start churches and 
We give a percentage of our general fund giving as well to help start churches. That was one of those churches. So they brought their team down. So Pastor John and his kids, they uh, came uh, out and they were there at Las Palomas too. So it was an awesome time. Um, but then I realized, like an absent-minded dad, that I, my wife wasn't there, and I forgot that I didn't know what to do with the kids when I went on this meeting. So I go and meet Scott, the president of I-68. He says, let's go on this hike. We're going to go up Competition Hill. We're going to have this awesome time. It should take about an hour, an hour and a half. Well, I'm leaving the resort, and I'm thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I just left my kids at the resort in Mexico in a foreign country. And uh, that's, my wife might not be happy about that. So before I left, I said, don't tell your, don't tell your mother what we were doing here today. So I, uh, I decided to get clever, and I decided at least to appoint somebody in charge. So there's a single guy in our church. I won't drop names. But anyway, a single guy in our church. And I said, hey, bud, you're in charge of my kids, okay? They're 16 years old. We're in Mexico. Keep your eyes on them. They're great kids, but still, keep your eyes on them. And if anybody offers them alcohol, tell them absolutely not. You know, they're 16. And he's like, I got it. And I'm like, now you can't leave the pool either. You just need to stay at the pool. Got it. We're good. So story goes, I didn't know this, but the, the guy said to, to, to my kids and to a couple other kids that were there, he goes, guys, I only got one rule. Have fun! Woo! So I was like, oh, that's, that's how it went. So I go on the hike. I come back. And I walk up to the pool and I see my kids and some other kids playing around. I mean, they're having a blast. I mean, like, couldn't be happier. And I'm like, oh, man, it's great to see you guys. Hey, where's the babysitter? I don't see the babysitter. Oh, don't worry. He's down at the beach. He met this girl. They're just hanging out at the beach. I'm like, what? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, what you guys do? I'm sorry. I'm an hour and a half late oh, we went on this boat ride, a banana boat out in the ocean. It was awesome. It flipped over. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. I felt so bad. I thought, oh my goodness, Leslie's going to kill me if she finds out about this. And so thankfully, everything was fine. It was good. But I realized in that moment, man, you really need a family coming together. I mean, it got worse too, because then we're leaving, we're crossing the border. And I'm like, oh, snap. I don't have your birth certificates. Oh my goodness. I don't have a driver's license for you guys. I don't have any identification for you guys. So I'm texting my wife. I'm like, I'm so sorry. Please send a photo of the birth certificates. We're about to cross the border. So thankfully, we got across the border. We're fine. But all that to say is, my goodness, we need, we need family at times. So let me ask you a question as we get started in this message. This is what I call a message series where it's a topical message. We'll teach through books of the Bible, and then we'll do a topic. And this is a topic, the family. So today, I'm going to ask you a question, and here's the question before we get started, is what matters most to you? What is most important to you as a believer, as a husband, as a wife, as a family member, um, as a Christian, uh, what, what is most important to you in life? Is it a car? Is it a house? Is it a job? Is it relationships with other family? Is it a relationship with Jesus Christ? What's most important to you? And probably you would say to me, well, my faith is important to me and my family. That's the most important thing to me. And so I would argue that there is probably no more uh, important relationship that you can have other than a relationship with Jesus Christ, but then your family. And the family is under attack in our country. 
we're rearranging and redefining everything about the family. And as a believer, you need to be well-informed about the vast importance and the supreme uh, value of the family. Just in sociological terms and just, in, just from a, a broad, even non-Christian brushstroke, think about this. The family is the basic building block for all of society. If the family is in disrepair, then how do you build a community? If the community is dysfunctional, then how do you build a city or a state or a country? The basic building block for every civilization for all times is the family. The family is that basic building block for all of society. For the world, God designed a family in a relationship. Now, there's traditional families, a husband and a wife and some kids. There's blended families where two uh, couples come together after a divorce, or maybe they adopt some children and come together. And then there's the church family. But every one of you are a family member. And if we're not careful, society will uh, dismantle that building block, and we will become distracted and drift. And if society doesn't do it, then we'll do it to ourselves through technology. Technology is a great gift, but it can be a great distraction too, where you miss the most valuable parts of the relationship that God's designed you for. The family, I would argue, is the most primary relationship that you're to own and operate in and to make a difference through. Mothers ask me sometimes, like, uh, how do I participate in the Great Commission, making disciples for all nations? I always tell them, your children, because your children are an influence that will have an impact all around the world. And we live in a world today where people get multiple different jobs. They do business nationally and internationally. They communicate nationally and internationally. Your kids are playing games with kids in China right now. I mean, your kids are playing games and they're dialoguing and interacting all the time nationally and internationally. And so I want to relook at a passage. It's kind of like the base passage, which we're going to jump into. And uh, I want you to relook at it from a perspective of seeing the importance of the family to make a difference. So Jesus said in one of the best sermons he ever preached, it was called the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, A familiar passage that we've reviewed even in uh, recent times is this passage. Jesus said, you are light of the world. He gave this uh, statement that he said, you're a light of the world and a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. A lot of uh, pastors, preachers, teachers, uh, Christian leaders and thinkers have looked at this passage and if they're smart, they've come up with this conclusion. This statement is not an individual statement about the Christian life. It actually is a corporate statement about our identity and our influence. So what do I mean by corporate? I mean by a a large group of individuals, perhaps the church or believers, collectively are the light of the world. This is not just singular, it is a plural concept. You are light of the world. Jesus is talking to all believers of all times. And he says, and a city on a hill cannot be hidden. Well, in a city, you have more than one person, right? You have thousands of people or hundreds if it's a small city. 
And Jesus makes this statement, and I would argue that he absolutely is implying that it is the family, because the basic building block of any city is a family. You have, in a city, you have homes. In those homes, you have uh, families. And so notice what Jesus says when he's making this radical statement about being an influence to the world around. He says this, verse 15, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket. He says people, he didn't say nor do you, he's talking about many people. He says, he gives this illustration, you wouldn't light a lamp and then put it under a basket, but on a stand and then notices and it gives light to all in the house. So my question is, a very simple one, is what's in a house? Obviously, there's a family. Light is intended to be an influence in the family. And you, as a believer, your chief responsibility is to make an impact for Jesus Christ, but predominantly and essentially as every family member into the life of your family. In world evangelization, it is the family that is the most uh, effective means for getting the gospel message to other people. So if you were to study what's called missiology or world missions and ask the question, how do people come to faith in Christ? You may at first glance think, uh, well, Billy Graham or Luis Palau uh, goes over there and preaches the gospel to a stadium of a bunch of people. Well, yes, that's true, and people come to faith in Christ, but the number one reason or the uh, means on which people come to faith in Christ all around the world is through the family. Remember when I first became a Christian, I uh, experienced the radical power of Jesus Christ, and I went to my brother, and I told him, I said, man, I've experienced Jesus in my life. He's changed my life. Why did I go to my brother? Because he was the closest one to me. I went to him and I told him, uh, man, I'm, I'm going to start living for Jesus. And he says, I thought you were already were living for Jesus. I thought you already were a Christian. And I said, no, I, that, was, that wasn't real. It was just a, I was just a Christian because that's what we call you know, ourselves to make ourselves feel better. And I didn't want to offend mom and dad. And he said, well, I knew you were fake. You know? And I was like, yeah, I was fake. And I said, but David, you're fake too. You're fake too. And you're not really living for Jesus. And David comes to this process and he repents and he turns towards Jesus Christ. And guess what happens? His life changes. And then he joins me and we form a youth ministry for 10 years. And after that, I said, would you come with me to Phoenix and let's go plant a church? And we did. And it was a family. If you look at the very beginning, when Jesus enlisted people to be his disciples, he chose brothers. He would pick one guy and brother would go get brother. And they'd join the team. See, the family is your most powerful influence. And notice this verse in verse 16, Matthew 5, verse 16. Your responsibility. In the same way, let your light shine. Let your light shine before others. Who are the others? Is it just random people? Yeah. Who are others? Is it perhaps friends? Yeah. Who are the others? It's absolutely the family. It's absolutely the family. Why is that so important? I'll tell you why. Because the family, they're the ones that first know about the genuine change that is in your life. They can can read between the lines. They can see, is it really real and genuine? 
And I believe that God wants to use the family as the basic building block to be an influence and to bring change into every society and every civilization around the world. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So here we go. What is an I family? I would say an I family, it's a family that seeks to influence the world for Jesus Christ. You need to be a family of influence. I don't mean money. I mean of a message, the life-changing message. That you are a a family member that says, I'm going to, in my family, we're going to be the difference makers. What's an I family? An I family calls for all types of families. The traditional family, the mother, the the father, the, the husband, wife, the children, all that. It calls for blended families to model and be the message of what Jesus uh, looks like, what a Christ-centered family looks like with a blended family. Or a church family. We're to be the messengers and we're to be an influence to the world around us. And that whole you are light of the world message is not an individual call, but it's a corporate call. That we're to do this together. How else could we bring light to the whole world if we weren't working together? So it involves every family member, every member. It involves the the children to be an influence for Jesus Christ. It involves the moms, the dads. It involves the uncles, the aunts. It involves the grandparents. It involves the cousins. You have a, a role and a responsibility to be the family of influence for the name and fame of Jesus Christ. Your easiest access to people is through the family. Some of you say, you don't know my family. Well, you're right, I don't, but I do know that there are seven practices that we can build into our lives to be a highly influential family. And these are seven practices that I would say are essential for every family member, for the kids, for the moms, for the dads, for for the aunts, the uncles, the grandparents, all of them. So here they are. Number one, each family member, if they're going to be an influential family member, they need to, number one, they need to determine their direction. What direction do they want to take in life? Determining the direction means that you have a a north, a north pole. You know where you want to go in life. You have a vision for what you want your family to be like. Like for me, I would say, I want my family to be a family that loves Jesus. I want my family to be a family that uh, cares for other people and serves the poor. I want my family to be a family that's going to serve the Lord. And in my ears, I can hear Joshua from the Old Testament say, as for me and my household, we shall serve the Lord. So you got to make a decision. What's the direction of your family? As a young boy or a young girl, you have to say, what's the direction that I want for my family? Because I want to tell you something. The world is choosing a different direction. And you have a choice to make as to which direction you're going to choose. If you determine that your direction is to be a, a, a Christ-centered family, a family that's going to love Jesus and serve in the church, then you hold to that direction and you go there all the days of your life. And so a, a great commandment family, a family that says, we're going to love God, we're going to love our neighbors, we're going to be a great commission family, we're going we're to be involved in making a difference nationally and internationally. That's the kind of family that you want as an influential family. Recently, I visited an airport, and I was thinking about the pilot and about his directions. How does he do it? Well, you know, what's interesting to me is that when the pilot crawls into the cockpit, 
there's already been a destination set. The direction's already made up. There's a flight plan. And there's many people that know about it. Everybody that's riding in the plane, air traffic controller, there's a lot of people that know the direction of that plane. But did you know this? Is that oftentimes what happens when they set those directions, they're going to get to their destination. I mean, that's, that's what they're going to do. They're going to... Uh, 99.9 or 100% of the time, they're going to get to their destination. But did you know this? That they have a flight plan, a path that they're to choose. But if you were to evaluate whether they were on that flight path the entire time of their air travel, 90% of the time in the air, they were not on their flight path. They determined the destination. They determined the direction. But there's some external factors that they can't control called weather other airplanes flying. And so they receive feedback and realize that they're off route just a little bit. So here's what they do. Number two, they learn to get back on track. See, some of you have decided to go ahead and determine the direction of your family. We're going to be a family that serves the Lord. We're going to be a family that's involved in missions. We're going to be a family that's involved in ministry. We're going to be a forgiving family. But man, it feels like I'm off track 90% of the time. Well, here's good news. Welcome to the club. Welcome to the club. Jesus set a radical direction for every believer when he said this, you be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Let me ask you something. Are you perfect? You doing that? I can't. I feel like 90% of the time I'm way imperfect. But do I have a destination? Do I have a goal? Do I have a model? Do I have a mission? Do I have a vision? Do I have values? Yes, I do. And if you were to ask my family about our destination and our direction as a family, they could articulate that to you. But then if you were to ask them, do you guys stay on track all the time? They'd say, no, not dad. He gets off track all the time. So here's the grace message for you. Just get back on track. Some of you got dysfunctional families. You got some bad habits. You got some things going on. Just get back on track. That's what the pilots do. They just get back on track. Nobody scolds them and yells at them because they didn't follow the flight plan. They understand there's so many things that you just can't control in life. You lose a job. Your brother goes through a hardship. Your uh, wife withdraws. Uh, the, the husband's challenged to go work overtime all the time. And there's all sorts of craziness going on. There's things like a global pandemic that breaks out. And it reshifts everything. Here's my message to you. Determine your direction and then just get back on track. You want to make a difference in life? Determine your direction. Take responsibility for your actions. Create vision and values for your life. And then when you fail, because you will fail, and we all fail, all the time, just get back on track. Here's what Proverbs says. It says, the righteous are going to fall seven times, but they rise again. That's the cool message. That you have a resurrection power of Jesus Christ in your life. The same power that was in Jesus is in us. And we can raise again. We can rise again all the time to new levels, to new power. The Bible says that God's mercy is new every day. I'm claiming that. I'm claiming that over my life. I hope you do too. His mercy is new all the time. Get back on track when you blow it with your kids. And you say, look, I'm, uh, and then your kids say, you've, you've already apologized for that like 50 times, dad. You're right. I have. I'm sorry. But you know and I know we want a better family. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to try our best. And when I go wrong, go ahead and confront me and say it because I, I'm sorry. I, sometimes I'm cowardice and I won't acknowledge my own error, but I want to get back on track. That's a powerful message. 
So, number three, here's what I challenge you to do is make deposits in the lives of your kids and the lives of your family members. Make those deposits. It's a habit to do this. People need encouragement. Making deposits is, I'm going to call it like an emotional bank account. In my life, in the life of my kids, in the life of my friends or my family, you know what I'll do is I'll try my best to say something that's going to build them up. I say at this church, we want to be builders. We don't want to be breakers. We don't need to break people down. We need to build people up because the Bible is loaded with all sorts of biblical passages that say, love one another, build one another up, encourage one another, and even confess to one another so that you can be healed. We've got to make deposits into the lives of the family members around us. And when we do, guess what? Those emotional bank accounts fill up and they feel full. But you know what happens when you don't make any deposits in the life of your family members? they're operating at a zero balance or negative balance. And then you're sending them out there in in a spiritual, in a relational bankruptcy. And it's our job to fill that up. We've got to do that. That's what the one another's are all throughout the Bible. There's hundreds and hundreds of love one another, build one another, encourage one another, help one another, serve one another. We've got to make deposits. What does it look like to make a deposit? It looks like apologizing What does it mean to make a deposit? It means that you really listen. When my kids come to me and, Dad, I want to talk to you. Well, I'm busy. I've got to stay on the phone. I got a work call. And then, okay, I'll I'll talk to you in a few minutes. But then that work call goes way too long. And the kids are wondering right then and there, is my dad really going to be available for me? And then you have an opportunity to make a deposit and say, hey, I got to end this call. I've got some, a previous commitment I need to tend to. I'll talk to you later. Hang up. And you sit down and say, what is it? What is it, son? What is it, daughter? What is it, wife? What is it, husband? And you make that deposit and you say, look, I'm sorry, I went long, but I I do really want to listen. That's making a deposit. What's making a withdrawal is when you refuse to apologize. The worst kind of Christian you could ever be is a Christian who refuses to apologize. You are painting yourself out to be perfect You're highly arrogant, and the Bible tells us that God opposes the proud. The best thing you can do is be humble. Just acknowledge your mistakes. When you screw up, when you mess up, the good news about Christianity, ladies and gentlemen, is God's mercy is new every single day. You need to be claiming that in the name of Jesus every day. And then you determine the direction, and then you just get back on track, but then you make those deposits, and you say stuff like this, I'm sorry, I blew it, but I want our family to be better. You make those emotional deposits constantly and continually. You don't want folks in your family walking around with a spiritual and relational bankruptcy. You have the opportunity as an aunt, as an uncle, as a grandparent, as a grandchild to help fill up bank accounts. You can help them be rich. And you know what we'd rather be rich in is most of us, we kind of know, if you've been around the church and Jesus' message, money is not the the greatest thing to be rich on. The greatest thing to be rich on is God's love and life with other family. You, You don't need a lot of money to bring great happiness, but what you need is you need holiness and walking with Jesus and living in harmony with one another and that family. You told me, I heard it in in your eyes that that family is in your family relationships are perhaps the most important thing to you, but they're also the very thing that can hurt you the most because you love them so much. 
So you have a responsibility. There's some nieces and nephews that are looking to you as uncles. There's some brothers and sisters that are looking to you and asking, I wonder if they notice me. I wonder if they know what I'm going through. Does anybody care? And you have a voice. You, have, you should have a vision for your life. And it parallels and it looks towards what Jesus wants for us. And when we think of you are light of the world, please don't just take that individualistically. Realize there's a corporate responsibility there. It perhaps uh, involves the church and perhaps even the, the, the family. And I would go further and then say perhaps. I think it definitely includes the church and I think it definitely includes the family. So make those deposits. That's the one and others all throughout the scriptures Number four, I would challenge you to put first things first. This just means that you, uh, you have priorities. Some of you can't get everything done that you want to get done, and you find yourself spinning your wheels and doing things that aren't important, and you wish you would do things that are more important. It, it is a lot simpler than it seems, but you just block out. Your stewardship responsibility is you have whatever money you have, whatever time you have, whatever gifts you have, whatever relationships you have, you say, these are yours, Lord. And I want to make sure that I honor you with all that I have. And I'm going to put first things first. My marriage is important. So I'm putting my marriage in front of my children. My faith is important. So I'm putting my faith in front of my marriage. My church life is important, so I'm putting that on the calendar every Sunday. I want to gather on that day. My finances is important, Lord, so I'm going to honor you first with my finances. First things first. What is first things in your life? What's going on? What if the most important things become the last things? Then you have a big problem. The people that end up taking their own life get on drugs, alcohol, and all that, you know what they've done? They put last things first. The things that really don't matter that much, the thing, and then they realize the magnitude of their guilt and their suffering and their struggle. They've said to themselves, you know what? I've blown it. I put everything that doesn't matter first, and it takes predominancy in my life, and I feel terrible. So what do you do? You get back on the wagon. You just say, I'm going to determine my direction. When I screw up, I'll just confess it because God's mercy is new every day. I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to continue forward and I'm just going to just start moving forward and I'm going to get back on track. I'm going to make some deposits. The ones that I can, I could call somebody and tell them that I love them. Call them and say, thank you for praying. I can call them and just be an encouragement to them. And I'm going to put first things first. So Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Bible tells us that we're to give the first fruits of our resources back to God because it's his anyway. In our time, I think about the church, they meet on the first day of the week in the New Testament. They're honoring God with their time. It's that special thing. I don't know what first things are perhaps in your life, but I do know this. Why don't you put first things first? It'll make a big difference. Number five, I just say, take the initiative. We live in a passive culture where people like to be the victim and say, you know what, if so-and-so wouldn't have done this to me, or this wouldn't have happened, this wouldn't have been like this, but you know what, we all have human responsibility. And we can all make a difference and just say, I'm going to take initiative for where I'm at and what's going on. Taking initiative in my family looks like sometimes if I mess up, or Leslie, we get into a 
heated discussion, or we can call it intense fellowship in our marriage, is that we're, we're going to reconcile. And sometimes I remember, I can think back of many different times when she did something really wrong, it deeply offended me, and I'm legitimately upset. Like, legitimately. I have grounds for being upset and offended. And then she said to me, and I, did, and I respond wrong, and I'm rude, and then she said to me, well, you're the man. Why don't you apologize first? And I'm like, ooh, I do not like that. I do not want to apologize first because you're the one who made the first mistake. You're the one who offended me first, so I don't want to do that. But then there's so many times I've realized if I would just take the initiative, even though she was the first one to hurt me, healing comes. Restoration comes. Reconciliation comes. Sometimes we need to swallow our pride and don't wait for an apology, ladies and gentlemen. You just need to go and try to reconcile. The Apostle Paul said it like this, hey, as far as it depends on you, you better be at peace with all people. In other words, you got to take some initiative. Don't wait in your family for somebody else to come to you and try to get things right. You go take initiative. That's leadership. That's courage. That's faith. That's what that is. That's being strong. That's being vulnerable. But who cares? You take the initiative and you say, well, where's my model? Your model is in God. Bible says that you love because God first loved you. We love because God has loved us. So when people wrong you, when people do, uh, uh, are evil against you, you can retaliate with love. It's powerful, life-changing. So we take initiative. God took initiative with us. We take initiative with people. The model for relationships is that we're going to treat others like God treats us. It's all grace. Number six, I challenge you in this. What a powerful message in my own life is this, is that you go for the one. I was the black sheep in the family. Um, My mom and my dad, my aunts, my uncles, my church family, friends, or whatever, they all had to go after the one. They had to chase the black sheep because I was a wayward kid. And I remember getting overwhelmed with a sense of grace. Like, I'm getting something that I don't deserve. Why are they wasting their time and money on me? Why are they doing that? And I think this principle echoed in their mind and in their heart. And what they were doing is what Jesus talked about. He said this in Matthew 18, if a man owns a hundred sheep, but then one of them goes astray, what should the shepherd do? The answer is that the shepherd should leave the 99 and go for the one. And you think about how inefficient, how, how inefficient that is and what risk do you create for the 99 that are there? Well, it sends a powerful message to the 99. You know what the message is? Is the message is, is that, man, if, if they will go to that great length to show the Father heart of God for that one, then they would go that length for me. See, when you leave the 99, ladies and gentlemen, you know what you're doing? You're sending a message to everybody else in your family that that's the kind of covenantal love that you've got for people. You're showing your true cards of who you are. That you're the kind of person that says, when you're down and out, I'm coming for you. And then what do you do? You echo, you amplify the Father heart of God. So you want to do relationships right? Look to Jesus. Look at how he does things. I was that black sheep, and if nobody came for, left the 99 and came for me, I wouldn't be here today. So what has it done? It's an echoed a message of God's grace and his goodness and the Father heart of God all throughout our family, that that's what we do. 
When somebody goes astray, and the Bible says we all have gone astray, each of us gone to our own way, and that, you know, we, we need Jesus. And so I'd say go for the one, and you'll send a powerful message to the many in your family that you are uh, God's grace, and that God is a rescuer, God is a savior, and that God is good, and that you are living out the grace and the goodness of God in your own life, and you're going to go for it with others. And last but not least, I would just challenge you in this real simple basic principle is that you seek to understand versus being understood. This is probably the hardest for me. This is where all my imperfections come out. I can argue with people all day long. And I tend to find myself frustrated, amped up. I literally, when I get into a big conflict, I have to just chill it out, calm it down, because I want to be understood. And what is that? That's pride. That's arrogance is what that is. You want to be understood before you try to understand everything. And it's completely antithetical to the Bible. The Bible says, be quick to listen and slow to speak. You're finding yourself heating up, getting really intense, becoming such an intensity of heat, you need to back it off. We're called to be light, ladies and gentlemen, but we're not called to be an inferno where we burn people alive with our presence. And we need to realize that, that when we are heating up, literally, biologically, something's going on inside this heart that needs to say, be quick to listen, slow to speak, seek to understand versus being understood. We all want to prove a point. But the reality is, is the Bible honors and amplifies the idea that when we're seeking to understand, there's blessing in that. The Bible says, whoever's patient has great understanding. Some of us need to be a lot more patient. I don't know if this... Uh, seventh practice is the one that's hit you, but some, some of them have. One of them has big time. And all I got to say to you is you're a family member. You have a responsibility. You have a, a, a great privilege to be an influence for the name and fame of Jesus in your family. And what matters most to you is probably what is what matters most to me is I care about my relationship with my family. I care about my relationship with Jesus. And so these are seven practices I challenge you to live out. And when you screw up, you, you've already got that destination determined. You just get back on track. Amen? Let me pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we would put these into practice. Wherever we err, we can turn towards you, acknowledge your sin, find grace and mercy. Thank you that you're a good God, that you're forgiving, that you're patient, you're slow to anger. You're abounding in love and steadfastness. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd look to you. Be that influence in our family for your name and your fame. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey, guys, before I leave, I just want to say a special thanks to all of you who give financially to this church. It's a partnership. Those people that call uh, North Valley home, those of you who call North Valley home, you've been invited into a partnership to help the church family continue to thrive, grow, do ministry, do missions. You're not a customer at the church. We're not selling goods and services. We're in a partnership together. And we all pull our weight together through giving and serving. And so thank you for all of you who do that. We uh, really did well in the sense the church was able to cover everything we needed to through, the, through this pandemic. And we're continuing to thrive because partnership. So for my wife and I, what we do is we give online so we don't have to think about it. We just got it set up and first things are first. So I want to challenge you, if that's not you, jump on that team in a partnership, a ministry. 
And giving doesn't, shouldn't start just when you got some big job. Remember in our Mexico missions, I, I told you the story. We had a little boy came up to me uh, about 10, 11 years old. And he said, Pastor Ryan, I want to tell you something. Mexico changed my life. He pulled out of his back pocket a $100 bill. And he said, I wanted to buy a new PlayStation, but God put it on my heart to give to the church. Could you put it in that fund that helps people, the hope offering? I said, man, Jacob, I'll tell you who he is. I said, I'm so proud of you. What, a, what an influence. Put first things first in every part of your life. So we're going to continue to worship. And uh, would you go ahead and stand with us? Thank you for listening. To become a supporter of North Valley Community Church, give today at northvalleychurch.org.